Good afternoon, everyone. It is great to see you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. The Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Today I want to talk to you. Uh, this is our last uh, message in this series on prayer, cultivating a life with God. And today I want to talk to you on a discipline, a spiritual discipline that I believe that if we don't do this consistently, I think it's impossible to really follow Jesus in the world, follow him in the way that he's calling us to follow him if we don't do what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about the discipline of cultivating a life of solitude as we follow Jesus. And if we don't do this, I think it's impossible to live in the way of Jesus. And so let's go to God in prayer. Let's invite him to speak to us. Uh, and let's enter into this passage together uh, in Luke chapter 5. So let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for gathering us in this place. And Lord, I pray that we would get a vision for what it looks like and what it means to follow you in this world, in this culture of nonstop activity, of incessant demands and needs. Lord, may we get a vision of what you're calling us to today. And so we offer this time to you. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, one of the reasons why I wanted our worship team to play that song before I came up here and preached was because it gets to the heart of what I want to talk about today. I read an article recently from The Atlantic on a situation happening in Japan. And the Japanese government is considering making it mandatory for workers to take at least five days of vacation time a year. Now, Jap Japan has had a uh, long reputation for being one of the most overworked uh, countries in the world, and the term kuroshi, or death by overwork, emerged in the 1990s when an increasing number of Japanese professionals were dying from heart attacks and strokes. In recent years, there's seen an epidemic of suicide. Within 20, 2011, 30,000 people committing suicide. And they're saying that 10,000 of those people, the reason of the suicide was because of work-related issues or overwork. Now, when we hear an extreme story like this, we're probably saying, wow, they're losing their minds in Japan. But before we rush to judge Japan, we have to take a look at our own lives. Because although you might take vacation time and although you might take full advantage of your PTOs, your paid time off, the truth is in a given year, we happen to still be tired, fatigued, and exhausted people. And the fatigue we experience is multi-layered and the fatigue we experience is multifaceted. We experience fatigue in our bodies when happens when we stay up too late and we wake up too early, when we try to get through the day with a couple of cups of coffee in the morning and some Red Bull in the afternoon, only to find out that we get home still exhausted and fatigued and plop down on the couch or on the bed only to wake up and do the same thing the next day. We are tired in our bodies. We're also tired in our minds, though. In a given day, we are bombarded by information at work overwhelmed with to-do lists, budgets to manage, dinners to plan, emails to respond to. We are a tired people in our minds. But not only are we tired in our body, not only are we tired in our minds, we also experience a fatigue of our souls. 
where deep down inside, because life is not unfolding the way that I want it to, or maybe because of setbacks or dark nights of the souls or unmet expectations, we wrestle with a fatigue of the soul. And so if you're tired today, if you're emotionally exhausted, if you're spiritually drained, God wants to speak to you. God has a word for you today. And the word comes out of Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse number 12, as we see in the life of Jesus something so critical for us to embrace and embody in the world. In Luke chapter 6, 5, beginning at verse uh, number 12, hear the word of the Lord. It says, when Jesus, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell to his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And this is the verse that I want us to focus on today. But Jesus regularly withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In our text this morning or this afternoon, we see a normal day in the life of Jesus. And in chapter before this one, Jesus is exercising demons for many people. Jesus is expending tons of energy in healing and pronouncing forgiveness and, and offering holistic uh, restoration to people in the villages. And at this point in the Gospel of Luke, it's almost as if Jesus recognizes that at the pace that he is going, it's going to be unsustainable for him to continue. And so in order to continue the good work that he's doing, Jesus needs to uh, gather reinforcements. And so Jesus decides to identify 12 men, 12 disciples, 12 disciples who would become apostles to do the work of ministry with him. And Jesus identifies them, and on the surface, it seems as if this is going to be okay. Now he's going to have some reinforcements. Now he's going to have some help. Now he's going to have exactly what he needs. But it's not, not as innocent as it seems. Because the people that he is discipling will give him just as much trouble as the demons that he's exercising. The disciples need to be trained. The disciples need to be instructed. The disciples need to be discipled. And so in the meantime, as Jesus is working to train his reinforcements, everyone is still coming to Jesus with their needs because he was the only person with power. He was the only person with authority. And so people found a way to uh, see Jesus when he would enter into a village. They found a way to anticipate his arrival so that when he arrived on the scene, there was crowds of people already waiting him. Now, it reminds me of 2012, uh, the, the gas shortage that emerged after Hurricane Sandy. And you recall this, that in some neighborhoods, there was sometimes only one gas station open. And it got to the point that people started sleeping overnight by the gas station. You remember this. And, and everyone's just waiting there for the truck to deliver the gas. And it got so bad that at one point, I mean, I start Googling 
uh, you, you know, truck deliveries to figure out when are they going to deliver it. And then I'm going to anticipate the delivery truck going there. I'm going to wait there and then I get there and there's already a line of people that have done it before me. And when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was the only gas station in town. He was the only one with the power. He was the only one with the authority. He was the only one who had the fuel to fill the lives of people. And so when he came into a village, people were all waiting, waiting for him there, already waiting for him there. And so here Jesus is, healing people which would be physically draining. And as he's healing people, there are certain religious leaders that are taking offense to what he's doing, and they're criticizing him. And so not only does he have the physical uh, pressure, he also has now emotional pressure and spiritual pressure coming his way. And so here Jesus is doing all manner of good because of who he was, lives in a nonstop culture with incessant needs around him. And in this nonstop culture, Jesus didn't have the conveniences that come with our modern lifestyles. He didn't have a, an office to call his own. He didn't have a, a home that he could shut the door and say, leave me alone. Office hours are over. There was no quick method of transportation where Jesus couldn't hail a yellow cab on Queens Boulevard to get him home after a long day's work. There was no fast food restaurants that after a busy day in the office, he can drive up to and order a number seven with fries on the side. He could not do that. He did not have the luxury of the technology that we have and to make life a little easier, to make communication a little easier. Life was relentless. Twice in the Gospel of Mark, we learned that he and his disciples were in such demand that they didn't have time to eat. Have you ever had a day like that? Exhausted, working so much, and you did not have even the time to eat. Jesus understands what it's like to live in a nonstop culture. Dallas Willard famously said, uh, the philosopher out of the University of Southern California, that the biggest enemy to the spiritual life was hurry. And most of us are familiar with this enemy. Our lives are virtually nonstop. And Jesus had his own set of challenges before him, but we as well have our own challenges before us. A couple of weeks ago, Pete preached a message on needing buffer, needing margin, needing space, that we tend to go from one thing to the next, from one thing to the next. I do it in meetings where I have a meeting at 11 o'clock, and instead of creating a 15-minute buffer, I have a meeting at 12 o'clock, and then have a meeting at 1 o'clock, and have a meeting at 2 o'clock, and I realize I have not even taken the time to breathe. That's the buffer time. And most of us go from one thing to the next without recentering and, 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 and reprioritizing our lives before God. And as a result, what begins to happen is we begin to disregard our limits. And when we disregard our limits, we do damage to ourselves. And when we disregard our limits, we do damage to each other. Now, at New Life, we talk about limits a lot embracing limits and to embrace our limits very simply means that we recognize that we have limitations that we have limits in our time we have limits in our energy we have limits in our intellect we have limits in our financial resources and many times when sin enters into our life or it's expressed in our life many times it happens because we are pushing our limits and one of the ways that we embrace our limits 
and consequently experience the joy that is available to us, the peace that's available to us is that we begin to cultivate a life of solitude. And this is what we see with Jesus. In light of the demands of his life, he found a way to cultivate this discipline of solitude. And so when we look at Jesus, we might ask the question, in light of all the needs around him, sometimes hundreds or thousands of people around him, how was he able to live centered? You never see Jesus frazzled. You never see Jesus angry. You never see, you never, in, in the kind of irritable kind of way. He, how was he able to experience so much power and authority? And when we ask that question, the first answer that we might think is this. The reason he's able to experience power in light of the demands of life was probably because he was simply expressing his divinity. But what I would say is Jesus didn't ex experience power and live with this kind of authority simply because he was expressing his divinity. He also lived this kind of way because he was embracing his humanity. Jesus teaches us what it looks like to be human. Because on many occasions, the son of the living God, if there's anyone who didn't need a break, it should have been the son of the living God. And yet the son of the living God would come and say, I need to break from all this action. And I need to get alone and be with the Father. Jesus not only expressed his divinity, Jesus embraced his humanity. And one of the greatest things we can learn from Jesus is how to be human. And so Jesus teaches us about solitude. He teaches us about limits. He teaches us about prayer. And the text says that after all of that action, Jesus regularly withdrew to lonely places to pray. And every word in that verse there is important for us today. Every word speaks to the kind of life that we are to embody in the world. And I want to just go through every word here for a moment. I love that it says that Jesus regularly withdrew. I love that it says that because for most of us, we wait to withdraw until we're burned out. Then, we, you know, after we've already cursed the kids out, then we go, I think I need some solitude in my life. <laughs> you know, you cut somebody off in traffic, you're irritable with your coworkers, you, you know, you're depressed, and you go, oh, I think I need some solitude. But Jesus regularly withdrew. What I love about that is he, Jesus doesn't wait till he gets to E on the tank. And we wait till we get to E on the tank. And then we say, I think I got about 10 more miles. I know the sign just came on and I know the thing said, you need gas, but I think I can do about 10 more miles in it. And then we get stuck on the highway. We wait until we are at E before we get God to fill us up. And yet, I love that Jesus regularly, it was a habit for Jesus. And if it's a habit for the son of the living God to get to a solitary place, how much more should it be for us? And so Jesus regularly, that's the first word. The second word there is he withdrew. And I love that word as well, withdrew, because the, the, the Greek word for that gives the idea of taking refuge from danger. In other words, to not live with a regular rhythm of solitude is to be exposed to constant danger. The danger of other people, the danger of needs, the danger of yourself in light of the pressures of life. And so Jesus regularly 
withdrew. And to live in a nonstop culture without solitude is to be in perpetual danger. Then it says that he, he went to lonely places. And Jesus understood that to create uh, the kind of rhythm that was sustainable as a, 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 to be in alignment with the will of the Father, he needed to create physical, geographical space to get alone with the Father. That this was a discipline for Jesus, to get away from uh, the activity, to be alone. And then it says this, it says to pray. Now you would think, of course, to pray. But we have to say that and we have to uh, embrace that because for many of us, if our lives were uh, described by this verse, it might not end with that. It might say John regularly withdrew to lonely places to avoid people. That's what it might say. Or, jo or Jane regularly withdrew to lonely places to update her Facebook status. You know, I just need to get a, leave me alone. Can I, can I play Candy Crush? Leave me alone, you know? Regularly withdrew to take a nap. But it says Jesus regularly withdrew to pray, to be in communion with God. This was the most important thing for Jesus. He regularly withdrew to a lonely place to pray. And this is the invitation for us to embrace a life of solitude. Now, I, I love that uh, solitude is so critical in the life of Jesus. And solitude doesn't mean aloneness. Solitude doesn't mean loneliness. Solitude is what happens when you take your aloneness and you direct it towards God. When you take your loneliness and direct it towards God. And this might be one of the biggest challenges that we face in 2015 because we live in a society that doesn't do well with solitude. We live in a society that does not do well with silence. Many of us are afraid of being alone. Our fear drives us to noise. Our fear drives us to crowds. Isn't this why when you walk into your home, if you're alone, one of the first things you do is you turn the TV on to give the illusion that at least somebody else is in the room with you. Isn't this why in many respects there is such an addiction to social media? Because we can't bear the news of being alone, so we need to fill our minds and our hearts with the chatter of the world. It might be superfluous chatter, but it's chatter that I need to hear anyway, lest I have to confront myself. We can't bear the, the feeling of being alone for an extended period of time. Actually, Henry Nouwen talks about this, one of my favorite spiritual writers. He says that we panic when there's nothing or nobody left to distract us. When we have no project to finish, no friend to visit, no book to read, no television to watch, or no record to play, and when we are left alone by ourselves, we are brought so close to the revelation of our basic human aloneness, and are so afraid of experiencing an all-pervasive sense of loneliness that we will do anything to get busy again and continue the game which makes us all believe that everything is fine after all. We have a way of avoiding ourselves. But in solitude, we position ourselves to encounter God. And this is what we see in the Bible. The, the, the context of solitude becomes the context of revelation and encounter with God. And if you want to encounter God, you say, I want to encounter God. If you want to encounter God, it means that we create space in our lives so that that encounter can be possible. Isn't this what we see throughout the entirety of the Bible, the biblical story, from the beginning to the end, we see that whenever someone gives themselves to solitude, God has a way of showing up. 
When you look at Moses, Moses uh, spends his time in the wilderness, and it is in the wilderness while he's walking his sheep that God encounters him in a burning bush. We see this in Elijah the prophet when as he's running for his life, he gets to the mountain and in the mountain, God encounters him. But it says in the scripture that there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And there was the wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And there was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then there was a the still small voice and God was in the still small voice or he was in the sound of sheer silence. It was when Elijah separated himself that God was able to encounter him. Isn't this why John the Baptist was so powerful that his ministry flows from the wilderness? Isn't this why Jesus, beginning his ministry, he spends 40 days in the desert, 40 days in the wilderness, and he comes out in the power of the Spirit? Because Jesus understood that without solitude, we cannot live the kind of life that God wants us to live. And so my simple, I'm, I'm pleading with you as the people of God at New Life Fellowship Church, that if we're going to have a life with God, it cannot happen without solitude. It cannot happen without silence. It cannot happen unless we are making space to encounter the living God. And the living God says, if you make this space for me, I'll show up. If you create space in your life, I'll show up. The question is, why does Jesus go into solitude? Why does the son of the living God practice this? And this is an important question because when we understand why Jesus went into solitude, I believe it'll help us to do the same. And Jesus went into solitude for a number of reasons. I, I want to enumerate a couple of them. Jesus went into solitude, first of all, for rest and rejuvenation. And after being with hundreds or maybe thousands of people clamoring for attention, he needed a place to be silent, a place to be recentered. And no matter who you are in this room, you need silence. No matter who you are in this room, you need solitude. Everybody needs solitude. Heck, even Superman needed solitude. Went to the fortress of solitude. I, I said, Superman's being really biblical here. This, is, this guy, follower of Jesus, this Superman, entering into solitude. Because this is what happens. In a given day, there are voices clamoring for your attention. There are voices clamoring to identify you. And when you, when you step out of that, you're able to experience rest and rejuvenation. Jesus went into solitude as well because it demonstrated that he was not driven by the agendas of people. When Jesus went into solitude, he was confessing to the world, I'm not driven by the agendas of people. I am led by the will of the Father. And it's so easy for us to be driven by the agendas of people that we make no space to be led by the Father. And so Jesus says, I'm going to enter into this space to let the world know I'm not driven by these needs. As much as I care for these people, I'm, I'm led by the Father. Jesus, uh, he went into solitude because he refused to be enamored by the praises of people or taken down by the criticisms of people. 
That in a given day, Jesus would experience a lot of praise from people, and in a given day, he'll experience a lot of criticism from people. And yet Jesus returned to the place of solitude over and over again because he refused to have his life identified by the praise of people or the criticisms of people. This is why, actually, it's a good practice for us to take regular moments of solitude away from social media. Because in a given day, you will find your identity in the likes of people and the approval of people and what people say about you or, or critique about you. And Jesus would always go back to that place of solitude to encounter the voice of the Father, which says, you are my son in whom... I am well pleased. Jesus went into a solitude because he understood that solitude was the ground for prophetic power. And when you look at John the Baptist and Moses and Jesus, you cannot have what you, you cannot give what you have not received. And solitude becomes the place of receiving out of which you give to the world. And so if we want to change our colleges, we want to change our workplaces. We're going to change our neighborhoods. It cannot happen unless we get alone first. Unless you, you, want, to, you want to change your marriage, get alone with Jesus. You, you want to be a better parent, get alone with Jesus. You want to be a better coworker, get alone with Jesus. You want to see transformation take place in your neighborhood, get alone with Jesus. That it is in the ground of solitude that prophetic power emerges and we are invited to experience that power. Solitude was also a place for discernment for Jesus. And if the son of the living God needed to wrestle in solitude for discernment, how much more do we need to spend time with God when we're faced with big decisions? I'm actually very frightened by the way that many of us make decisions. I'm very frightened by it. It's a scary thing, the way we make decisions. And I'm not talking about what to have for breakfast or, you know, I'm talking about weighty decisions. It's very frightening. And I'm in the boat with you. That when we have a large decision, that we spend very little time, if any time, in solitude, asking the Father for direction. And so I meet people, Pastor Rich, I'm getting married. Woo! And I go, and I go, and I enjoy, and then I go, but did you pray about it? And then they stop the, they stop the, yeah, yeah, I, I pray about it. How long did you pray about it? Like you want minutes? Yeah, yeah, give, how many minutes did you pray about it? And, and, I, don't, and, I, and I mean like, it was you and Jesus, and you were, you were actually asking him what to do with your life. And chances are, if we're honest with ourselves, it's very small. That's why I laugh when, when I read statistics that they say 85% of, of Christians or Americans pray every day. I go, now, define prayer. What do you mean by prayer? Do you mean, Lord, thank you for this meal, amen? You know, if, if that's the case... <laughs> Heck, everybody's praying. But if you mean what Jesus is doing here, agonizing with the Father, creating space for solitude, the percentage goes down a whole lot. And so if Jesus, whenever Jesus was about to choose his disciples, he spends the night agonizing, Lord, who should I choose? What should I do? 
If you're thinking about moving, Lord, what do you want me to do? If you're thinking about another job, Lord, what do you want me to do? If you're thinking about dating or marrying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the challenge is if we don't hear God in the, in the next first five to six minutes, we're saying, I, I, I guess, Lord, you gotta, I, I have to make a decision here. Time's a waste in here. And yet Jesus labors all night in prayer. And he is life is to be a model for our lives, that solitude becomes the place for discernment. But at the core of it, this is what I believe why Jesus entered into solitude. I believe Jesus entered into solitude because solitude was the place to reclaim his core identity. It was the place that he, he to, to reclaim his core identity. And this is why I love what Harry Nowen says, that he says, without solitude and silence, our lives are in danger. Because unless we create space to hear God's voice of love spoken over us, we will base our identity on voices that don't matter. And so we need to return to that secret place of solitude to hear the voice of the one who calls us beloved, who affirms us with an everlasting love. And so if Jesus ran into solitude regularly, brothers and sisters, we are to run to solitude as well because it is out of this place that we confess, that we are not driven by the demands of people, but by the voice and the presence of God, it is in this place that we confess that we are not enamored by the praises of people or the criticisms of people, but we are uh, filled by what God thinks about me. It is in this place that we confess that true spiritual power can come no other place than until I create space for God in my life. It is in this place that we confess that our core identity is not based on my possessions. It is in this place we confess. That who I am is more than my achievements. This place that we confess. That who I am is more than my accomplishments. This place that I confess. I am more than my education. This place that I confess. I am more than my marital status. This place I confess. I am more than my success. This place I confess. I am more than my failures. It is in this place that we all confess together that we are sons and daughters of the living God, loved with an everlasting love, unconditional love by the Father, and it is out of this place that we live our lives. And unless we live our lives from this place, it's impossible to live the kind of life that Jesus is calling us to live. Unless we create space for this place, it's not going to happen. To live as individual followers of Jesus, we need solitude. But I want to say something else. In order to be the community that God is calling us to be, we cannot do it without solitude either. We, we need each other to spend time with God in solitude. We need to do it for each other. Because if we don't do it for each other, we're going to be in big trouble. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this the German theologian, he talks about the trouble that we will get into as a church family together and as your own family unit at home, whatever it is, if we don't practice solitude. And this is what he says. And hear these words. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. But the reverse is also true. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. And this is what he's saying. He's saying if we don't take time 
to regularly enter into solitude and receive God's unconditional love as the source of our identity, we will attempt to get from human beings what only God can give us. So we start leeching off of each other, trying to get what only God can give us, as opposed to experiencing what only God can give us, and in the overflow, offering that to others. There's a difference of my, my love for you is an overflow, as opposed to my love for you is I, I need your love to fill me. When, when God's love fills me, it can overflow to you, and that's what we are to be as the people of God together. Experiencing God in our solitude so that when we gather together in community, we're overflowing. And if we're not, let him who cannot uh, be alone beware of community. And the same thing is the opposite as well is true. And so this is, I want to tell you, this sounds really nice, but this is not easy work. This is hard work. This is a struggle here, but by the grace of God, I believe we can do it, and we can do it together. And there are a couple of ways to begin to cultivate this, and I want to talk about two kinds of solitudes that we have to cultivate in order to live this kind of life. The first is an outward solitude that we need. We all need an outward solitude. To the best of our ability, we need to find ways to find a, a desert space. And whether that's a local park, or whether it's a library, or whether it's an empty church, that we outwardly create distance from our activity for the sole purpose of hearing God. And in that moment, you, you're reading scripture. In that moment, you're journaling. In that moment, you are listening to God. And this is why for outward solitude, one of the best things that we can do, especially while we're in solitude, is to turn our phone off. At the second service, I was going to ask people to turn their phones off for a moment, and you, you would have thought I, I said some heresy in the front, you know? People twitching in the front. You want me to what? You turn, turn my phone. For how long? For how long? We need an outward solitude. I remember... Uh, when I was working in lower Manhattan some years ago, uh, someone gave me a vision of solitude. And it was such a vision that I said, I want this in my life. And one of the things that I began to do was my hour lunch breaks. I began to take 15, 20 minutes, 25 minutes to find a church around. And I worked in lower Manhattan by 40 Wall Street. So there was Trinity Church right there on Broadway. And I go right into the chapel and spend 15 minutes there and 20 minutes there. And after working all of that there, I mean, what it did for my soul, what it did for me as a coworker, it changed my life. And so this might mean that we look at our lunch breaks differently. That our lunch breaks are not just to get out of the office. Our lunch breaks also are opportunities to encounter God. This is why in the morning, if you're the first person to awake or if you're a single person, don't let that silence in the morning slip by you that cultivate that silence. Before you go to bed, when, when everyone's sleeping or when everything's uh, quiet there, cultivate that silence, that outward solitude, taking advantage of that space. Now, some of you might be saying, Rich, you know, uh, I'm probably especially thinking of, of uh, parents with young children. You're probably saying, Rich, this, I mean, this is wonderful, but let's be real here. Let's be real. And this is what I say as a parent of two small children, one seven months old. So I get it. And this is what I want to say as well. That even with two small children, this is possible. 
I, I, I was joking at first to service and after service is that there's some parents that the, the, the sanctuary becomes the bathroom. You know, powerful potty prayers, you know, emerging. Outward solitude doesn't mean we, we have to go to a monastery. Outward solitude means that we are creating distance. If it means going from the kitchen to the bathroom or going from the bathroom to the living room, that you are intentionally creating space to commune with God. There is an outward solitude that we all need to cultivate. And my prayer for you all this week is that you would create that space, whatever it is, for that solitude. But that's just one. That's outward solitude. And outward solitude means nothing if you don't have inward solitude. Because you can have outward solitude, but still not experience solitude. And yet you can be in the middle of Times Square and experience a solitude. Because inward solitude is about creating space for God to enter. It's a listening. It's a posture of the heart. And so inward solitude is more than geography and location. It's about a posture of the heart in which we say, God, I'm listening to you. In all of the, uh, the noise and the hustle and bustle of the city, I am listening to you. And so we need both. We need outward solitude and we need inward solitude. And this is not easy, but by the grace of God, God will help us. And we will do this together, and our lives and our church will be transformed. Jesus wants to give you rest today. This is what he wants to give you. And so I want to end with this. I want to invite the worship team to come forward, and I want to end with this. I had the worship team begin uh, with the song there coming out of Matthew 11. And I want to read to you this, this verse from Matthew 11 out of the message translation. And I want you to hear it as Jesus' invitation to you, and not only his invitation, really this is, this is the kind of life he's calling you to here. And he has a couple of questions in the beginning, and then there's the invitation. And so this is God speaking to you today out of Matthew eleven twenty eight, And this is what he asks you. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And this is Jesus speaking to you today in your fatigue, in your exhaustion, There is a life that he has for you, a rest that is only possible in him, and we get to enter into it. So what I want to do, I want to give us uh, just a moment to create an inward solitude right now. I want to invite you to close your eyes for just a moment. And with all of the responsibilities before you, your mental fatigue, your physical fatigue, your soul fatigue, May this be a moment right now where we say, Lord, here I am. I'm listening. I want to create space for you. And let's all together as the people of God create an inward space, an inward solitude for God to meet with us. And so let's take a minute of just stillness and silence and we'll close with a song of worship. But let's pause.
Father, thank you for this moment of solitude, that even in this crowd here, we're making space for you. Lord, I truly believe that unless we begin to practice this, that we really have uh, no chance of really following you in the way that you're calling us to. And so, Lord, I pray that you would empower us by the power of the Holy Spirit to little by little, day by day, begin to cultivate solitude at five minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time. But Lord, that we would start somewhere, and that you would meet us, and that we would live the kind of life that you're calling us to live. And so we sing to you now words of worship, words really of, of praise and, uh, and, and confession. We ask that you fill us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's all stand and sing together. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. And I don't have to have a long conversation with you to know that many of you in this room, you're tired, you're exhausted. Going 24-7, incessant needs, lots of demands on your life. I don't have to have a long conversation to know that you're empty. And yet Jesus is here to fill you with his love and set you on a particular trajectory that you live with this kind of rhythm. And listen, I don't know what, I don't know how I could be a follower of Jesus without solitude and silence. I just don't know. And by the grace of God, my hope is that you would create space this week. Little solitudes every day. And the truth is, you're going to have a hard time sticking with it. You're going to think of a whole lot of other things to do than to waste time with God. You say, I could be doing something so much more productive. And yet, there's nothing more productive you can do than being with God in solitude and silence. And if you do it long enough, you notice that you don't get as irritated with things. You notice that you forgive a little easier. You notice that your anger doesn't consume you. You notice that you don't live with the kind of resentment that dominates your life. You notice that you live with a kind of freedom and joy and peace. And little by little, as we give ourselves to this kind of life, the Holy Spirit begins to fill us and reshape our desires. And so is it difficult? Absolutely it's difficult. Is it hard? Absolutely it's hard. Is it draining? This, this is hard work, but it's worth it. And you might say, Rich, I didn't get anything out of it. That's not the point of it. And in unseen, silent ways, as you commit yourself to this kind of life, little by little, all the Holy Spirit begins to surprise you. And you might not notice it yourself, but people around you start saying, something's different about you. You don't got a bad attitude anymore. I mean, so what happened to you? You've been with Jesus. That's what's happened to you. You've been with Jesus. And so, oh my goodness, what a life God has for us. What a, what a life God has for you. And if we do the simple thing of saying, I'm going to pause from this to get to him. And I guarantee you that if you do that this week, little by little, each and every day, you'll come back a different person next Sunday. 
And the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, you go from glory to glory in the name of Jesus. And so we have our prayer team here. We have the Lord's table here. You can come eat and drink of Jesus. Take bread, dip it in the cup. We have our prayer team. If you're tired today, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we would love to pray for you. And if you're not a Christian today, I guarantee you're not living with the kind of rest that could be yours. And Jesus is inviting you today to follow him. If you sense, yes, that I hear that voice, our prayer team would love to pray for you about that, to walk you through that. What does it mean to begin a relationship with him, to follow him? But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And my prayer is that you would live differently this week, living into his rest, out of which you live with power in the world. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with his peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, creating space, that you would encounter the power of the living God, his grace and his love. And may you overflow to other people around you that love that you're receiving. And so I bless you all today and the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen.